All right, we are starting our sermon series, Sermon on the Mount. It's the first book, New Testament, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So we're going to get there in just a second. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start with verse 24. We're going to the end of the sermon because we want to see the purpose Jesus has for giving this message. The greatest message ever given by the greatest pastor to ever live. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're going to dig into. Before that, is anybody a poetry fan in the room? Poetry fan, a couple, all right, we got a couple, five, five or six. Has anyone heard of The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost? The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. All right, check this out. Let me know if you have heard this by the time we get down. I think everyone has heard the end of this, but here we go. The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverge in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. All right, so get that picture in your head, two paths, which one are you going to take? And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I ever should come back. So he knows once he starts, he probably is not going to come back and make this decision again. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere, ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I think a lot of us have heard the road less traveled, and a lot of times you hear this at graduation ceremonies. Today, we're not talking about two paths, but we are talking about two foundations. And I bring this up because this was written by Robert Frost to a friend as a joke. And what would happen is he'd call up this friend, hey man, let's go hang out, let's take a walk, we'll catch up on everything. And every time that they'd go walking, this friend would complain that they chose the wrong path. This path had too many rocks on it. This path was too hard. This is too far. Uphill both ways. Can't do it. And so Robert Frost is making fun of his friend with this letter, this poem. And he says, we always should have taken the road not taken. And it's interesting. Jesus here is saying there's a narrow path. There's one foundation and most people don't travel this. He says at the end of the road, there's regret if you don't build on this foundation. And I also brought this poem up because it says, Yet knowing that way leads on to way, I doubted if I ever should come back. All of us in the room are building on a foundation. All of us in the room are building on a foundation. There are only two foundations. And you're building on one of them. And today is an opportunity to come back and look, do I want to build on this foundation? It's not too late. So for some of us, we need to reevaluate what are we building our lives on. And then at the end, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, this was written as a joke to a friend, but Jesus gives this message and the foundation that you build on makes all the difference. It makes an eternity of difference. 
And so this isn't light stuff that we're going over today. Jesus is giving us a warning, just as he gave the crowd a warning that he was speaking to on the mountain. And the scary part is they went away astonished at his teaching and left lost. And what I do not want to have happen is as we go through this message, this series, we hear the words of Christ and we're like, well, that's a good thing. I'll try that. I'll try that. And we miss Jesus. We want to take the load rest traveled and we want to follow Jesus on that path. Let's pray and then we'll dig in. Father, I pray that as we dig into your word, you do what only you can do. Father, I pray that you save. I pray that you move. I pray that you open up our eyes, help us see your word, help us believe your word, and then help us act accordingly. Father, there's a lot of things going on today, but help us be still and know that you are God. You have a word for us this morning, so help us here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today we're looking at the wise and the foolish builder. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll dig in. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Wise builder built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, rivers rose, winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed with a great crash. We are building on one of those two foundations. I was bringing this up. I always practice my sermons on my family, which is a good and bad thing. Right? I'm talking to Balin and Camden, and I asked Camden, Camden, what are the two foundations? One guy built his house on the sand. Oh, yeah, sand houses. What's the other foundation? And she said, waffle houses. <laughs> no. No, the other guy did not build his house on waffles. Still would not have gone well. It's sand or it's the rock. And now as long as this story is just a story that we see in the Bible and it's not talking about us, we're comfortable. But Jesus is saying, you and me, we're building our lives on one of those two foundations. And one collapses and one stands the storm. What makes the difference? Both people hear the word of God. What makes the difference? The one did it. The one listened. The one acted. You want to build on the rock? You listen and do the word. And so to get to that point, we want to be wise builders of our lives on a foundation that stands. And so there's three convictions that we have. Are we ready? Three convictions that we have if we're going to build a life on the rock. Number one, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's not either or. It's a both and. And now here's the, the tough part that we're doing. We're covering Three chapters in Matthew, right? If you guys ever watch a movie, where do you start the movie? Usually at the beginning. We're not doing that. We're jumping right into the middle of the book of Matthew. And so it's important that we understand some things that Matthew has already said and some things that he's going to say. At the very beginning, Matthew emphasizes Jesus is our Savior. 
If you guys remember, around Christmas time, we read this message from Matthew 121. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is what Jesus does. He is our Savior. Everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved from their sin. And now, this is why this is important. As we go through these three chapters... It's going to talk about how we have lust in our lives. It's going to talk about how we should love our enemies. It's going to talk about adultery and giving and pride and judgment and fasting and praying. And what we're going to see, we're going to see the holiness of God and the demands He makes on those who follow Him. And we're going to see how far we do not meet those standards. We see the high holiness of God and we see how deep our sin is. So what does that point to? Our need for a Savior. None of us are going to meet the standards we're going to read about over the next couple weeks. And it points that we desperately need a Savior who meets the standard, who pays the price for us, who can forgive us and cleanse us from our sin. Everyone who was listening to Jesus here thought, well, I'm not guilty of murder. But Jesus says, well, if you have hate in your heart, you've been guilty. Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. And what we see is a holy God and a sinful people. And man, we desperately need Christ. So number one, Jesus is our Savior. And a lot of times people stop there. Right? This is what Jesus did. He was born perfect, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, dead, buried, rose from the grave. Call on Him and you will be saved. Confess your sin, turn from it, you will be saved. But the problem is we forget that it's also Jesus is Lord. The salvation that saves, the faith that saves, is also the faith that sanctifies that helps us walk with Jesus. And so Matthew ends his book, Matthew 28, 18, giving the Great Commission. And it shows the Lordship of Christ. He says, Jesus came and spoke to his followers and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's Lordship. And so as we go through the Sermon on the Mount... We understand about grace and how we need to be saved, but we also need to understand this. There's going to be some things that we read about and you're like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, that's not for me. That sounds a little too judgmental. I don't know if I agree with that. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And there's a couple of things you can trust about Jesus. One, he knows everything. He knows everything. His wisdom has no limits. And the second thing is, he loves you. He loves you. He laid his life down for you. And so when we read the commands of Christ, they're never ever going to hurt you. It might be painful, but it's always for our good and his glory. And so as we read this book, I want us to see Jesus as our Savior and Jesus as our Lord. And this is all throughout the New Testament. So I'll give you a couple of examples. There was a woman who was caught, caught in adultery. 
right? And she's dragged out by these guys and brought before Jesus, thrown at his feet and says, hey, what should we do with her? These guys didn't care about this woman. They cared about catching Jesus, putting him on the spot. Will he sweep this under the rug or will he do what the word says? What's he going to do? It says that Jesus bent down and started writing things in the sand. And now we don't know what he wrote. We don't know what he wrote. And you've got this group of scribes here, these religious leaders, these, these men of respect in the community, like, hi, we got you. But you see, Jesus knows everything. And I think when he's writing, a lot of people believe he's writing down sin from each of the men that brought the woman before him. And one by one, they're like, ooh, all right. All right, I can't throw rocks at this woman. I'm out. And the next one's like, oh, I forgot. Yep, I'm a sinner. And the same condemnation as her, I'm out. And one by one, everyone left. And Jesus looks at her and says, look around. Who condemns you? She's like, there's no one left. And Jesus says, and neither do I. You see, this woman was about to be put to death for her sin. And Jesus saves. But do you remember what Jesus says as she walks away? She just experienced salvation. What does Jesus say? Go and sin no more. You see how Jesus balances lordship and savior? What about the rich men? You go to Luke. I think it's Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19. You meet two rich dudes, right? This rich young man comes to him. He's like, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to be saved? And Jesus goes through this, this, and this. Basically, Jesus tells him, all you got to do is be perfect. You want to be with God? God is perfect. He's perfectly holy. You have to be as holy as God be perfect. And he's starting to go through the list. He's like, well, I'm not here. I'm not here. Maybe I measure up. And then Jesus says this, go and sell everything you have. And it says that the rich young man goes away broken because he had so much stuff. You see, the Lord of his life wasn't Jesus, it was his stuff. And he missed salvation. But it's interesting, the next chapter we read about a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, short dude, rich man. Was a tax collector, robbed people basically for a living. Rome would say, hey, you owe us a dollar. He'd say, you owe a dollar fifty. He would take the fifty cents for himself. A wealthy, wealthy man. And Jesus comes to his house. And his life is transformed. All of a sudden, his Lord is not his stuff anymore. His Lord becomes Jesus. And now, the Bible says that he repaid everyone that he took something for, fourfold. He gave them not only what he took, but also more to cover the cost of it. And then he said he gave half to the poor. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to his house. You see, when Jesus is your Savior, we'll see it and as Lord of your life. We'll see it in your obedience. A lot of people think if they just know a couple facts about Jesus, they're good. I know a little bit about Jesus, I'm good. But if your life doesn't, is not marked by the obedience Christ has called, I would question your salvation. And I think that's what we see in 1 John. Remember when we went through that book? It's pretty clear. Evidence is clear. Works do not save you. Works do not save you. But a faith that saves always leads to works. Turn to Ephesians. Josh, see if you can find Ephesians in there. Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2. Everybody, hey, if you've got your Bibles, turn. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. This is exactly what we're going through, because what I don't want to have happen is you try to measure up and just be a little bit better as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's going to be a lot of, hey, you need to do this thing and this thing and this thing. What I want us to see is as a people of God, God working in us, He's shaping us to look more and more like Christ. And this is exactly what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Ephesians chapter 2, Josh, we're going to try to do 8 verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 verse 10. Hey, you're fine. Those pages are thin. 8 through 10. God saved you by His grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. All right. God saved you as a what? Was it, did you earn it or was it a gift? It was a gift. It was a gift. So you can't take credit for it. Keep reading. All right. That's first. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Time out. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. Right? So you cannot earn God's salvation by doing good things. So as we go through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and you're like, oh, I guess i got to do a little bit better. No, that's not how salvation comes. Salvation is a free gift of God. When you put your faith in Christ, God saves you. All right? What's the purpose of it? Keep reading. Bang! Read that one more time for the people in the back. created us anew so that we can do the good things that he had planned for us a long time ago. And this is done because Christ is in us. He gives us a helper called the Holy Spirit so that we can walk with Jesus. This is Ezekiel chapter 36. If you try to do this on your own, you will fail. But if you call out for Jesus to save you and he saves you, you will walk with him as Lord of your life. Not perfectly, but obediently. You will mark, be marked by your obedience to your Lord. That's what we see again and again in the Bible. That's what we see here in Matthew. That's conviction number one. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Now, real quick, this is very, very important before we move forward. Is this true in your life? Is this true in your life? Because what we see is there's a wide gate and a broad way, and there's people that say, Jesus, did we not do this? Did we not say, Lord, Lord, we did this and we did this? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And he says, that's a big road. And there's a lot of people on it. And my fear is there's a lot of people that go to a church building and know some things about God, but they don't know Jesus. And I don't want that to be anybody from Redemption Church. And so, is Jesus Lord of your life? Do you do what He's asked and called you to do? Or, are you your God of your life? You do whatever you want to, whenever you want to. If you're the God of your life, Jesus cannot be your Savior. If Jesus is Lord of your life, He is also your Savior. It's both and, it's two foundations, it's two paths. You're on one and not the other. Jesus is Lord and Savior, or he's neither. And that's something you can decide today. That's the beautiful grace that we have in Christ. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And then he changes you. Changes the desires of your heart. 
empowers you to walk with him. Conviction number one, Jesus is Lord and Savior. Conviction number two, the Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's word. We'll go quickly through this. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. So at the end of the sermon, listen to what the crowd says. They just heard a long message from Jesus. This is what they have to say. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. One who had authority. Now they haven't gotten to Matthew 28 yet where we see all authority has been given to Jesus. But can you imagine the authority with which Jesus spoke? Think about this in life. Think about the authority figures in life. Who gets to tell you what to do? Who is the driving authority in your life? It could be yourself, it could be a parent, it could be a friend, it could be a boss. And yet here we see Jesus. Now, now just, this is Jesus who created the heavens and the earth and sustains it by the word of his power is speaking. Get that in your head. Get that in your mind. And I'll show you a lesser example to build on hopefully an infinitely greater example. Let's imagine, Mike, you went to Alabama, right? You're at Alabama, you're playing for Nick Saban, you're playing defensive end, you're having a good game, but then he called a stunt to the right and you went to the left. And let's say you're down here talking to Nick Saban. Nick Saban's like, hey, Mike, we called Roger and you went left. What's up? And like, coach, I get to do what I want on this team. And he gently explains, no, sir. Do you think Mike would go, eh, whatever, whatever. Coach, I'll do whatever I want. This is my show. Do you think that happens? No. That'll never happen. The player would never see the field. You don't talk like that to the head coach, to a guy who's won national championship after national championship. But you want to know what I find amazing? We get to the Word of God, and we just do a, hmm, I don't like to read. Bible's boring. Nah. If we have the conviction that this is God's Word, we'll be spending a lot more time in here hearing from God. A couple of things about the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Right, So you can learn, reproof, so you can be uh, challenged. Don't do this, do this. Correction. Hey, you were going this way, but we want you back this way. And for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. I'm afraid we're missing some things because we haven't heard from God, because we haven't dug into the Word. God has a plan for you, for these good works that He's created in Christ, in you, and it says that the Word of God equips us to do that. And then in 2 Peter, breathed out by God, but then listen in 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not going to use anybody for this example. Back in the day, we'd lower the goal, and Balin and Camden would want to dunk a basketball. They're this tall. And the goal, even when we lower, it's about this tall. Can they dunk it? No. No. What would happen? Dad, can we do it? Yes. So I would pick them up, 
They'd grab the ball. I'd pick them up. I'd put them right next to the rim, and bam, they dunk it. Then I'd grab the next one, pick her up, bam, dunk it. Now, Camden and Balin both dunked the basketball. They did exactly what I wanted them to do, but it looked a little differently, right? Camden dunks it one way, Balin dunks it another, but they were both doing exactly what I asked them to do, dunking the basketball. That's the same way when we get the Word of God. God used men as they were carried by the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what God wanted to communicate. There is nothing like this book. When you hear from the Word of God, when you hear from the Bible, you hear from God. Don't shrug your shoulders at that authority. But then, secondly, not only does it show the authority of God, but it shows that God loves us. You don't have to guess about what God's like. I was watching a show, The Ultimate Fighter was on, uh, and they have all these guys that are trying to get into a professional UFC. They're trying to get in, and for five weeks, their phones are taken. Now, these guys are coming to the house, and they said, you know what the hardest thing about this house is? It's not the fights that they have to do. It's the separation that they experience. And so you see them, their last phone call, they're talking to their wives and their children, and they know for a month there will be zero communication and they can't see them. That's tough. Now, can you imagine, after about three weeks, getting a handwritten letter from your wife? Give you updates on your kids and how she's doing and what's going on. Do you think the guy in the house is like, ah, just throw that away. I'll see her in a couple of weeks. I can do that later. No. They're like, oh, finally. I get to hear from my family. They get this letter, rip it up, and they check out how their family's doing. Why? Because they're driven by love. So not only does Jesus have the authority, but he also has the love so that when we hear from, do you see how that changes how we approach the Word of God? You can't be nonchalant about the Bible. Is the Bible the authority in your life? All of you have worldviews, how you view the world. Why do you see the world that you do? I want you to think, make this per Why do you deem something important in your life? Could be culture. Culture has a lot to say about what's important. You should believe this, and you should believe that, and you should wear this mask. You shouldn't wear this mask. If you ask culture, you'll get five million opinions on what's important and what's not. Culture says there's a lot of things that are important. They, they, they offer a lot of things. And so your authority could be culture. It could be the news. And depending on what station, who knows what that'll be like. Could be a friend. One of the things that I'm really big on, who you hang with will be who you become. Someone once said, you cannot control the influence your friends has on your life, but you can control the friends that you hang out with. Sometimes you see that the authority in your life is somebody that said something that's really close to you. Could be parents. This is my argument. The authority of your life should be the Word of God. I want to see things the way God sees them. That's what wisdom is all about. Wisdom is knowing God's perspective and then acting accordingly. And we have that through the Word. So that's conviction number two. The Bible is God's Word, which leads us to our final conviction. I am going to do what God says. Going to do what God says. And, and that's where we get this account. And the reason why we're going over this right now is because over the next few weeks, you're going to see the Word of God. 
but it's not enough just to hear it. You got to do it. That's the difference between the wise and the foolish builder. So uh, you see this all throughout the Bible. In Psalm chapter 1, the, the psalm starts out with this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Right? That's the guy who's building on sand. And we know how that life ends. It what? Collapses. And so he says, how happy is the guy that doesn't do that stuff? But instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. What's your mind filled with right now? What's your mind filled with when you put your head on your bed at night? What are you thinking about? This guy, the psalmist is saying, how happy is the guy who's meditating, who's constantly thinking about the Word of God. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears his fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. That's building on the rock. Hearing the Word and then doing it. James 1, 22-25 says the same thing. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. And it ends with, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, that person will be blessed in what he does. There's nothing gained by hearing the words of Christ and ignoring it. That's like building a house on sand. But my prayer is that as we hear the word of God, we do it. That person is wise building on a foundation that is rock. Now, what do you think the storm is in this text? The storm comes to both houses. Do you guys know what the, the storm is? The storm is coming judgment. In Jeremiah, it talks about how, look, a storm from the Lord, wrath is coming. Or, later on, this is what the Lord of armies says, pay attention, disaster spreads from nation to nation, a huge storm is stirred up to the ends of the earth. Or, right before we get to this in Matthew 7, it talks about how one tree bearing good fruit will be preserved and given life, but another tree bearing bad fruit will be thrown into a fire. It talks about how one life, he who hears the word, gets life, and the one who doesn't gets destruction. And so we see that the storm is judgment. Now, here's the crazy part. Many people today, your life is good. Everybody's okay, Right? Nobody's in the hospital, in the room right now. We feel okay. We're provided for. Everything's good. You want to know what? The guy who built his house on the sand was saying the same thing. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, there's a storm coming, and you better look at your foundation now. If you are here and your life is built on sand, you have no inclination, no desire to follow Jesus, there will be a great collapse when judgment comes. But you still have time. Don't be like this crowd that was astonished by some words. Be moved to call on Jesus to save you and then follow him as Lord. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That's what life is about. What's your foundation today? Make it Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that as we dig through these three chapters over the next couple of weeks, I pray that you move and show us how to live. Help us glorify you. Lord, I pray that for those in the room that do not know you as Lord and Savior, that today, 
today they'll turn from their sin and trust in you. Father, I pray for the conviction that we know your word. And so I pray like in Psalm 119 that we have a passion to go after you through your word. May the Bible be the delight in our hearts. May it guide our steps. May it bring comfort. May it strengthen our hands. Father, I pray that we not just hear, but we do. Lord, I pray that you're glorified in what we say and what we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, real quick, by way of announcement, tonight we do have an ordination service for Brian. Uh, Brian is going to be our worship pastor. And today we're, or tonight we're going to be praying for and uh, ordaining him into worship ministry. And so that will be at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, so if you have no plans and you want to come, be an encouragement to our church, but then also uh, Brian. This is our first ordination uh, service at Redemption Church. So you're invited to be a part of that. That's tonight at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. All right? Good deal. Have a great weekend.